Sun Life Community Church came into being as the result of a compelling vision for a different kind of church, interested in what we call the Sun Life, experiencing and sharing the life of God's Son. Perhaps your heart is burdened these days. We invite you to allow the Word of God through the words of this message to bring rest to your soul and joy to your heart. Today, as we continue in this series that I'm going to take right till the end of the year, so we can say we've been red-lettering it an entire year. That's what we'll be able to say. And this morning, I want to turn our attention to some of the most important red-letter words Jesus ever spoke. They are words that must absolutely be put into practice. These are not the kind of words to just say, oh, by the way, Jesus said this and Jesus said that, and isn't that interesting? None of his words are of that sort because he himself said, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice, that man will have a transformed life. He will become so solid, so secure, so stable. He'll be like a a person who built a house on a rock. And even when the storms of life came upon it, that house stood firm because it was solidly anchored. These are words like that. These are words that must be put into practice if successful Christian living is going to be achieved. The quality and the consistency of our Christian life depends upon our application of these words that we're looking at today to our lives. They are words that generate, as this sermon title today says, a discipleship like no other. And here they are. Today's red letter scripture, John 14, 26, joined with John 16, 13. Here's how they read. Jesus said, the companion, that's the Greek word paraclete, the companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He will guide you into all truth. Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, we're going to rely upon that Holy Spirit's ministry this morning. We want to be guided into all truth. We at least want to be guided into more truth than we entered the door with. That you might add to what we know. Add to what we understand. Add to what we can begin to apply into our lives that we might bring more glory to Christ and more pleasure to you and more fruit to us. So this we ask, Father, that these particular words would be effective in our hearing and in our hearts today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He, in fact, will guide you into all truth. That's what Jesus said. Those two verses contain some of the most important things Jesus ever said, particularly about the Holy Spirit and about the dynamic of the Christian life. How does the Christian life get lived successfully? 
There's a lot of Christians who would say, I don't have a clue. There's a lot of Christians who know they've been saved. They know they've accepted Christ as their Savior. They know that they have, were a sinner separated from God and that God in his love sent his own son to die on the cross for their sins that if they receive Christ as their savior God forgives them there's no longer any judgment against them and heaven is their destination eternal life is the gift they've received and and they rejoice in that eternal life they're excited about earthly life not so much it's like, how many years do I figure i got to endure all of this until heaven? The older we get, sometimes we start counting backwards. And you might think how old your mother or your father was when they passed away. And now you're getting up there. You're more than halfway to where they were. Maybe you're three quarters of the way. Maybe you're flirting with the actual age they reached. And you begin to count backwards and say, oh, me. Maybe only two or more years of this. We have no idea, most of us, that the living of the Christian life is supposed to be an exciting adventure. It's supposed to be something successful, not something that we, we just try to get through, but something that we're getting through triumphantly, where we, we might come to the place of saying, oh man, I hope I live longer than my parents did. Only while we're alive on this earth can we do the things that please God. Only on this earth can we do the things that a human being as a member of Christ's church can actually honor his Savior with. That's so we say, I hope I have more. I hope I have more. I don't want this to end. Because the honor of serving Christ in a fallen, broken world is, is incredible. To actually live the life and experience some of the life that Jesus himself demonstrated. How awesome is that? But most Christians never even get to think something like that. It because, it's because they never have been taught or they ne- don't not, do not understand the dynamic of that Christian life. How does it happen? Well, Jesus is talking about how it happens right here. Sad to say, without us knowing and understanding what Jesus is talking about here, most of our seeking to live the Christian life will fall into the category of what that wise man Solomon once described as a mere chasing after wind. Jesus saw the Holy Spirit. Numa himself as the one who would personally and individually disciple his followers. He will be the discipler. He will be the one that leads them, guides them, teaches them, shows them. He will. And how many Christians are out there just trying to figure it out on their own? Or they sit under some other discipler who seems to have a take on things. Where Jesus says it, it won't be anyone like that. The Holy Spirit himself will be the one who disciples the believer. Not many people hear that, understand that, or experience that. But Jesus is saying it's the Holy Spirit who will create out of them mature and stable men and women of God in this fallen, sin-filled world. The entire task will be put in the Spirit's hands. Now, the Spirit hadn't come yet when Jesus said these words. Jesus was saying, he will, he will, he will. 
But you see, Jesus was still here doing that stuff. Jesus was here teaching them. Jesus was here guiding them into truth. Jesus was here companioning them. Jesus was here doing all of that. And then near the end of his ministry, in fact, the very last night of his ministry, in the upper room where they gathered around that last table, Jesus began to explain what's coming next and how they would become successful in this life. And so it's this discipleship I want us to focus on this morning because Jesus gave a lot of hints about it in these two verses. In fact, I find five foundational truths regarding the Holy Spirit and specifically his ministry with the believer. Number one, Jesus tells us in these verses, he is a companion. He's a companion with Christ's own. Christ's own disciples continually. Jesus says, now the companion. Told you a minute ago, that's the Greek word paraclete. That's the word Jesus didn't say paraclete. Jesus didn't speak Greek, but the Holy Spirit, when he inspired the New Testament writers to write down these things, he told them to use the Greek language because everybody in the world almost, at least the civilized world, could read and speak and understand Greek. And Greek was a profoundly precise language so that anything God wanted them to know, there's a Greek word. They could say that a very exact thing. And so Jesus here says the paraclete. And when it gets translated into English, there's been all kinds of ways of translating that. But para is the Greek word with, and cleat is from the word to walk or to come alongside. And it really means one who will come alongside you and walk with you. I've told you before, I can't think of a better English word for a fellow who does that than the word companion. That's what a companion is. One who's just there with you all the time. He goes through everything with you. Now just a few verses before Jesus said this verse, beginning with the word the companion, Jesus had said this. He said, I will not leave you as orphans. That's a a good thing to say to people, but why why would somebody say that? What would bring that up? Well, just a few verses before that, Jesus said, I'm going away. This is John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many mansions. I've gone, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I am leaving. Well, by the time you come to verse 18, and they are just devastated with the idea that Jesus is leaving them. It's like, well, now we'll be all by ourselves. Well, Jesus allows them to feel that tension. And then he says in verse 18 here, but I will not leave you as orphans. Well, that's what they were prepared to feel like. If he goes, where does that leave us? He's been everything to us. He's provided everything for us. And if he's gone, we're going to wind up with nothing and we're just winding, going to be wandering through this world in confusion and, and probably despair. So Jesus says, don't worry, fellas, I'm not going to leave you in that condition. I will not leave you as orphans. There's one coming. I will send you the companion. And the companion, see, he just starts by saying he'll be here. And then he begins to talk about him. The Holy Spirit is a 
companion. He will be with you. You will not be like children without any parents to guide or guard you. We need to get it into our heads and all believers actually need to get it into their heads locked in that it's the Holy Spirit who has been sent to companion them through life. It's not the Father who descends to parent you in this world. It's not Jesus continuing his earthly ministry on your behalf. It's the almighty Holy Spirit of God who has initiated and empowered every divine thing that has ever happened in this world who is now initiating every divine thing happening in this world now and who will empower you to successfully handle everything that comes your way in this world. He is God with you. He is God with you. He is the present day Emmanuel. That title was referred to Jesus Christ before he came. Isaiah, Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus came to this world and he was God with them. But then God left them. And the third person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, came to be God with them. And that's what Jesus is saying here. So as we remember, we need to remember that fact this Christmas season as we look back to the awesome work the Holy Spirit accomplished leading up to that first Christmas day. He's the one who came upon Mary. He's the one who put that holy seed within her. He's the one who orchestrated all these events. He's the one that came upon Jesus at his baptism. He's the one who came with Jesus out of the wilderness temptations when it says, and Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, began his ministry. And he's the one who is with you and with me. So if we're a born-again child of God, then the Holy Spirit is our earthly companion. And we can't get rid of him. He's stuck to us like super glue. He's been sent to be with you. Everywhere you go, he goes. Everything you do, he's a, a part of, willingly or not. He's your companion. Moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, year by year, life by life. He's your companion. He walks with you. He's been given to you. He is God with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus himself said so. Now, here's a second truth regarding the Holy Spirit that we can find in these red letter words. Here we go. He has been sent by the Father. That's, that's important for us to keep straight. Jesus wanted us to know that. He said, now the companion, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Father sends him 
in Jesus' name, to carry out Jesus' work, to continue the, the, the marvelous salvation that Jesus provided, he comes, sent by the Father, in Jesus' name, to do with us what needs to be done. Jesus reminded his faithful ones just before Jesus left the world after his resurrection that it was his and their heavenly father who would be personally and powerfully sending the Holy Spirit to them. We find this just before Jesus ascended back into heaven. Acts chapter 1 verse 4, Jesus says this. Do not leave Jerusalem. Say, you're going to see me leave. Don't you try to go find me. I'm ascending my Father in heaven. Don't you, though, go running around trying to get things pulled together or whatever your mind might lead you to do. You stay in Jerusalem. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father's promised. You wait. Something's coming for you. He didn't tell him how many days they should wait. You just wait there until it comes. You'll know when it gets here. The Father then sent on the day of Pentecost the Holy Spirit into the world. He is the Father's emissary in this world. He represents the Father. He carries out the ministry of the Son who came to do the Father's will and he's working in all those who have committed themselves to God through Jesus Christ to accomplish the purposes of God in their life. Jesus says, wait for him. Wait for him. He will initiate the next great chapter of God's redemptive work in the world. It's almost like the baton if this were a running race and a relay race, the baton of earthly ministry would be passed to him and to Jesus' followers through him. He would make them ready and able for their task. Say this to yourself right now. You might not want to say it out loud, but say it to yourself. I can't help but be a successful Christian if I let the Spirit guide me. I can't help but be a successful Christian, a fruitful Christian, if I let the Spirit guide me. He has been sent to make me that. Even as Jesus was sent to call his own disciples, come follow me, and they followed, and he worked with them, and he taught them, and miracles, actually, he allowed them to perform healing and casting out demons, and, and they sensed there was, a, there was a power at work in them that was like the power that was in Jesus. They were successful. They had their moments where they weren't, but they, yeah, they knew what it was like what it was like to have the power of God within them and upon them and to see the fruit of, of the Spirit coming through them to bless other people. And Jesus is saying, now the Spirit, everything I've been to you, he will be now. Except, of course, he can be with you all the time, everywhere, all of you at once. You see, the Holy Spirit, Numa, 
We like that name because that's just the Greek word for spirit, pneuma. And the Holy Spirit chose the Greek language to tell the story. And when he chose the Greek language, he chose the word pneuma to refer to himself as spirit. So it's no stretch for us to say, well, he must like that word. And he identified himself with that word, spirit, wind, breeze, air. The Holy Spirit. Numa himself would take on the task of discipling these disciples. And he would bring through them the fruits of ministry. He just had to get into them. He had to get into this world. And Jesus said, the Father will send him. So that's the second thing. Third thing is, Jesus said, the Spirit, he comes to teach us. That is to complete our Christian education. The disciples already knew a lot of stuff, didn't they? They'd been with Jesus for three and a half years. They knew a lot of stuff. They knew more than anybody else knew. They probably heard Jesus go through the Sermon on the Mount 50 times. Just because Matthew wrote it down once, and the other Gospels make reference to it, as Jesus traveled around for three and a half years, he didn't have that long of a, or big of an agenda. He said the same stuff over and over and over and over. It wasn't all that complicated. But boy, was it specific. This is how you live. They heard that. They heard that. They could probably repeat it themselves. They might even say, we don't need to know anymore. We've been with Jesus for three and a half years. Let the Holy Spirit teach these other people who are just coming along. You know, those people in Apple Valley someday. Let the Holy Spirit deal with them. But we've been with Jesus, the real deal, for three and a half years. We could give his messages as well as he gave his messages. I could hear Peter saying that. But this Holy Spirit's going to come and teach them all things. So let's think about that. You see, he will teach them all the things they would need to know to accurately, to accurately present Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. There were things Jesus could not say about himself. They could. They needed to know the stuff Jesus couldn't say. They needed to put the two and two together for people to say, this is why he died. This, he rose from the dead. He said, I will, but we're telling you he has. And this is what it means. They needed to have more truth put into them than what Jesus could put into them. And so the Holy Spirit came to teach them all things. And I'm saying to you, a lot of those things that the Holy Spirit teaches come as a flash of insight. I doubt that Peter ever spent hours and hours in any theological library, carefully taking notes about what Rabbi so-and-so said and what Rabbi so-and-so said, or trying to write down everything and the implications of what Jesus said. Peter was the kind of guy who got into a situation, and what did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, don't think ahead of time what you're going to say. Sometimes our parents say to us, now think before you speak. Because I know what comes out of you just un, you know, unthought. But Jesus says to them, 
to his disciples, now don't you think all the time, ahead of time, what you're going to say and get it all prepared because whatever you come up with is going to be limited to your own human limitations. When you get into a situation where you need to say something spiritual, you need to say something right, you need to say something that can, can really pierce into somebody's heart and make them say, wow, that's true, that's right, I need to. He says, you just open your mouth. And the Holy Spirit will give you words. Now that's covered in Jesus saying, and when he comes the one my Father will send, he will teach you all things. That includes teaching you as a flash of insight, right in the moment, something comes out of your mouth that you never thought of before that moment, and yet as it comes out of your mouth, you're thinking, wow, that is true. That is true. A couple examples, let me just give you of Peter. For instance, on the day of Pentecost, This was the first ever gospel message. Nobody else ever got a chance to say this because it couldn't be said until Christ had died, been resurrected, had ascended to heaven, and really the Spirit had come. And Peter is there in the midst of this great hubbub as the Holy Spirit comes upon 120 of them that were in a room together praying and fasting. And then they burst out into the great the great court of the temple where there were thousands of people and they all begin just declaring the wonders of God. Praise to God. Even speaking in languages they had never heard or regardless of what they were speaking in, everybody heard what they were saying in their own native language. And it's like this is a miracle right in our midst. What is going on here? Well, Peter then jumped in. We're familiar with Peter jumping in, right? He jumps in all the time. Well, now he jumps in, having been filled with the Holy Spirit. And on that moment, for instance, in in Acts chapter 2, Peter points out to them, the first thing he said, what is going on here? Peter says, this that you see going on is what the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before, prophesied. When God says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Peter says, this is it. The other disciples might say, how did he know that? But we agree, this must be it. It's a fulfillment of prophecy. And Peter is dead on. I've never known Peter to be dead on before. Only one time was he dead on before. That's when Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And then who do you say that I am? And Peter blurts out, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. You don't think the other disciples were impressed with that? You don't think Peter was impressed with that? And Jesus says, Peter, no man revealed that to you, including you. My father in heaven has revealed that to you. That was a flash of insight directly from God the Father. Well, now we find Peter, I believe, getting flashes of insight from the Holy Spirit who is filling him and who is beginning to teach him all things. That is, all the things you need to know to be effective for Christ in this world. It won't help you on your algebra test. Won't help you with any earthly struggle. Say, oh, the Holy Spirit, he will teach me all things. All things you need to know to serve God in this world. 
And so Peter points out this is a fulfillment of prophecy. That was a flash of insight. And then Peter later on, he pointed out to this crowd of people once he had their attention that the death of Jesus was in fulfillment of God's purpose and plan that God had raised Jesus from the dead and exalted him to the right hand of the Father. And Peter goes to this conclusion and has made him both Lord and Christ the very Messiah that we have been looking for for all these years. That was another flash of insight, directly from the Holy Spirit to Peter, out of Peter's mouth, and upon all those thousands of people hearing a teaching they had never heard before. This afternoon, you might want to read through uh, these things and just pick up some of them yourself. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapters 3 and 4, and chapter 10. I just make a reference here in Acts chapter 3. This was a powerful miracle. He, Peter, and John healed a man who had been crippled, who was begging for healing, and they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. He stands up, he walks, and then Peter gives the explanation to the crowd because the people were looking at Peter and John like they were miracle workers. Like maybe they were gods of some sort. Peter says, why do you look at us that way? We haven't done anything in our own strength or power. This man stands before you because of the power in the name of Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus' name has healed this man. And then Peter goes on to explain, because it led to quite an opportunity to just share his faith, Peter points out that Jesus now, he says, must remain in heaven. That's an insight for Peter. They were hoping Jesus would come back like right away. But he says, Jesus must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything. And then Peter points out to them that Jesus was the prophet that Moses said would come to whom the people must Listen, Moses said, there is a prophet God will raise up like unto me who knows God face to face. You must listen to him. And Peter says, Jesus is that one. The prophet that Moses spoke about. These are all flashes of insight given by the Holy Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 4, Jesus is, or Peter is interrogated by the Sanhedrin, the council of the Jewish leaders. And in the midst of that interrogation, Peter comes up with this. I don't think he worked on this the night before and said, you know, here's a good, concise statement. He just opened his mouth and out comes this, 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which... We must be saved. Just blurted it right out to the Jewish leaders. A flash of insight. The Holy Spirit just putting words in his mouth that are absolutely good teaching. And then Acts chapter 10, it's Peter going to the home of a Gentile. That God had revealed to Peter, it's okay to go to the Gentiles. And in the midst of that encounter with that family, Peter says, now I can see. Now I can see that God is accepting people from all 
all races of men, from all people, not just the Jews, but through Christ, what God is doing is for everybody. That was a, that was a monumental flash of blinding insight and altered everything the church was doing from then on to understand that, that God, Jesus, died for all men, not just for Jews, not just for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but for all who will put their faith in him. So these are, Jesus said, the Spirit will teach you all things. And we see Peter right off the bat, just within a, within a week really, being taught and teaching others. Here's now the fourth foundational truth. Jesus says, he comes to remind us. Jesus said, he will remind you of everything I have said to you. The Holy Spirit forever will be seeking to keep Jesus' teachings center stage. That's back to our Matthew 7, 24. He who hears, he who remembers these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a man who built his house on a rock. It's the teachings of Christ that bring stability to our lives, that put us in line with the will and the purposes of God. Now, most significantly, the Holy Spirit has accomplished this reminding ministry by getting the words of Jesus written down. If they had never been written down, you and I would not be able to put them into practice. We would probably never hear them, at least not extensively, not all of them. You know, it'd be just bits and pieces that people remembered over the years and kind of passed along and passed along and probably altered and changed a bit. But the Holy Spirit got them written down and preserved the Gospels. See, he can now remind even those of us who never heard Jesus ourselves because we've read it in the Scripture. We've heard it from the Scripture and the Spirit can remind us of the things we have heard in that way. These words of Jesus, written down, sometimes even highlighted in red. We must read them so the Holy Spirit can, when the time comes, remind us of them. Here's the fifth and final thing regarding the Holy Spirit. He comes to personally guide us into the fullness of life. Jesus said he will guide you into all truth. Well, that means into all of, the, all of the realities that really make up what Jesus called the abundant life, eternal life, spirit-filled life, fruitful life. He will guide you into that kind of life. Paul says in Galatians 5.25, he says, since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Life comes through the Spirit. He guides us into life, into abundant life, into the Christian life. See, these are all words that suggest process, a gradual increase of truth, one truth building on another. That's where the word discipleship comes into play. Discipleship is the disciplined pursuit of, of completion. Could even say of perfection. When Jesus said, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, that word means be complete. Be the finished product. 
not sinlessly perfect, but fully completed. Become what God wants you to be. And discipleship is the disciplined pursuit of that end result. That we might be the people God wants us to be. That we might be fully, a finished product of his grace. So the Holy Spirit who is at our side continually and who walks through every moment of our lives with us is forever adding one thing to another until the task is done. Have any of you got to the place where you think you know it all? (laughs) Nobody can tell me anything about the Christian life that I haven't already heard and, uh, and probably mastered. Anybody like that here? See, that's one I don't have to worry about anybody raising their hand. I won't raise my own. See, the Holy Spirit, though, it's a, it's a process. It might not be completed until the day we take our last breath. Because part of this Christian life involves how do you take that last breath. Discipleship takes us all the way to where we're just a half a step away from the doorway that leads us into Christ's presence, and we want to do that well. There's a way to do that. There's a way to anticipate that. Not fearfully, but with with great anticipation and delight and hope and joy. And until we do, we don't know if we will. And so there's always more to learn experientially to be guided into and and as we're guided into situations that we've only heard about or read about or the scripture talks about as we're guided into those situations and then we get through them there's a part of us that says it's really real it's really real and that's part of discipleship becoming real rather than just one who's aware of stuff. But now you're, you're in this stuff, and your heart is responding in a way that is more like Christ than, than like those who don't know Christ. Keeping in step with the Spirit, he leads us right into the fullness of life. He's always adding one thing to another. And when we yield ourselves to him, He will guide us all the way home. And now listen to this. And when we get there, we will feel like we belong. That's the end result of successful discipleship. To step into the presence of the Lord and actually feel like you belong. That you are in fact home. And that comes over time. That's a process that comes of being so yielded to the Spirit and He becomes so much a conscious part of your life that it's like a little bit of heaven has been with you for quite a while. And the Spirit is just bringing you back to the place where He ultimately yearns to be. And at that point in your life, you're probably yearning to be there too. And when you step in and see your Savior... You won't be looking over your shoulder wondering who's going to throw you out. Say you don't belong. You will feel that you belong. You will know that you belong. For the very spirit who is with you 
has brought you home. See, he, he guides you into all truth, into the truth of all these realities that make up God's desire and God's plan for your life. And so the Apostle Paul one time described the Holy Spirit's discipling influence this way. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, we've used this one a lot this year and in previous years. Paul says, And we who with unveiled faces all contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, there's the process, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. This discipling process is in the hands of the Holy Spirit. And he will bring us through to a marvelous completion if we just keep in step with him. What a gift. What a gift the Holy Spirit is from the Father who has sent him to us. He comes to companion us. He comes to teach us all things we need to know. He comes to remind us of everything that Jesus has taught. And he comes to personally guide us into the truth that will bring us fullness in Christ. So how do we put these words into practice? How do we apply these words of Jesus in God-honoring and spirit-freeing ways? Well, I just want to share with you as we close this morning what I'm calling our sun life application. How do we apply them? How do we put them into practice? What suggestions might we have? And And so let me just share a few things with you. You have it on your outline there. Long years ago now, a little over 27. For how many of you is 27 years a long time? Short time? We dismissed our kids here already and our young people. They say, man, 27 years, that's twice as old as I am. Maybe more than that. Well, 27 years ago, we placed on the back of our bulletin. Do you have your bulletin with you? Look at the back of it. Sun Life Community Church, it mentions our mission. And then it says at the bottom, the last paragraph there, Sun Life Community Church fulfills its mission by... And here's one of the statements there. We fulfill our mission to provide this by doing this, to provide a clear pathway to guide a believer from babe in Christ to mature believer. It's taken a long time to formulate and really articulate such a pathway. But that's been our discipleship mission all along, just as it is for almost every Bible-believing church in the world. They would say that's why we exist, not only to win people to Christ, but to find a way that those who have been won to Christ can progress consistently and fruitfully from a mere babe in Christ to a mature believer. That's our goal. That's our desire. That's our mission, really, that we might honor Christ in that way and that the church of Jesus Christ becomes a more glorious and glorious place because more and more people like that are filling it up. And they're holding out, as Paul says, the word of life as they shine like stars in the universe. Well, in the past few years, I'd say we have discovered our Sun Life discipleship method. We call it developing a walking with NUMA lifestyle. 
That means getting into a frame of mind, a type of life where you consciously are aware of the Holy Spirit's presence with you every moment of the day. And you're also aware that he's the one who leads. He sets the pace and he sets the direction. You take him by the hand and you walk along with him. You keep in step with him. That's a lifestyle. A year or so ago, we had a seminar we taught here. How to develop a walking with Numa lifestyle. How do you do that? What does it take to do that? And we're going to have another one. We got interrupted by the whole COVID thing and couldn't really have gatherings like that quite the same. But a number of you, about 30 of you, went through that initial seminar. And in that seminar, we highlighted something that was very, very new and very uh, minimal. We developed what we could call here our Sun Life Discipleship Manual. We just had one month's worth. 30. 30 devotions, meditations that would take you through every day of the month, 31 of them for every, and then just go through it again and then go through it again and go through it again. Well, right now that's developed. Alan, would you, you've got one of those. Would you, uh, it's kind of grown since that very first time. And here we are. Look at this. That's 400 pages, right? Exact. Six months now of, of things that I believe the Holy Spirit has, uh, as flashes of insight, have brought that can help us hear his voice on a daily way and sense him guiding us into all truth or at least a great bunch of truth that is relevant to the living of our Christian lives. It's a six-month program. It highlights 186 scripture passages. That's six times 31. Some months don't have 31 days, but none of them have 32. So it fits for every month. Sometimes you might get to read a couple of them several times because the, there's not 31 there. February especially. Boy, you get familiar with that last one. But 186, every page... Every morning reading, there's a morning and an evening reading. Every morning reading centers and begins with a scripture verse. All told, there's 186 scripture verses that would be the ones we ought to have committed to memory. The things that the Holy Spirit says, think about this, think about this, think about this, think about this. The truths of God recorded in the scripture. It's a scripturally based discipleship program, but anticipating that it's the Spirit of God who has generated it, and it's his voice that we're listening for as we read page by page. And there are many who have begun this, who've gotten involved with it, that they would say, you know, I really feel like it's the Holy Spirit talking to me every single day. And I've learned to hear his voice. It's consistent from page to page to page. And my life is changing. I start every day with a sense of yielding myself to him and with an idea of what, what has he got on his mind today? What is the thing? For instance, months one and two just cover a lot of basic Christian teachings. 
wonderful, almost like sitting down with the Holy Spirit and him saying, here's what I want to talk to you about today. And this talk might have nothing to do with yesterday's talk or tomorrow's talk. The first two months are almost like a individual conversations with the Holy Spirit as he tries to guide us into the kind of truth that will bring fruitfulness and, and maturity in our life. And then month three begins to focus on some specific truths, uh, a little more elaborate. Jesus' heavenly ministry. What is our Savior doing in heaven? Month three covers that from the point of view, hopefully, of the Spirit of God himself. It covers things like the armor of God. It covers things like the ministry and purpose and methods of the Holy Spirit through the Scripture so that we get to know just... He's almost on every page of the Bible, beginning in Genesis chapter 1 all the way to the last chapter. Month 4. Month four is, is talking about how to actually become like Jesus. To become like Jesus, we must know what Jesus was like. And that whole month is delving into the heart, the character, the mind, the perspective of Jesus himself as seen in, in his day-to-day -day works. Until we can, we can actually say, you know, I, I know him better. I can see the, the inner motivations that led him in the ministry. These are the very motivations I ought to have if I'm seeking to become like him. And we ask the Lord to generate those motivations in us. And then month five, month five I would just call mastering Jesus' main teachings. And the whole month is focused on the Sermon on the Mount. Red letter stuff. Here's what Jesus said. Here's what's really at the heart of his teachings. So many of us can fall into that category of when Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, a lot of us have notions of the Christian life that are just what we've heard said. People have said to us, just like the people of Jesus' day, they sat there and they had heard everything the Old Testament prophets had said. They've heard everything the rabbis have said, what their mom and dad have said. And Jesus went through things, six things, in fact. Saying, now you've heard this said. And it was such a common saying, even such a seemingly biblical saying, that everybody would nod their head and say, yes, I have. I've heard that my whole life. That's the way it is. But six times Jesus said, you've heard it said, but I say to you, and all of a sudden comes something brand new. Something that takes the original truth just to the, the ultimate kind of expression of it. And he says, now that." That's the real life. Not what you heard up until this point, but what you're hearing right now. So we spend a whole month going through the Sermon on the Mount in that. And then month six, the final one, is just knowing the Father. We go through all 31 attributes of our Abba Father that we have listed in various places. But there you're thinking about the one by one, morning and night, hopefully with you sensing this is the Holy Spirit talking to my heart. This is the Holy Spirit bringing me to a place where I truly know God the Father. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. Jesus said, it's eternal life, Father, that they might know you, the only true God, as well as Jesus, whom you have sent.
And so that brings us to the final thought today. Holy Spirit discipleship. And I kind of did a little study on discipleship this week, just sort of Googling. There's various groups that have made a a ministry on a discipleship. We are disciple makers. Disciple making is all we're about. But most of them are involved with studying books and studying scriptures and going from elementary to more advanced. But I haven't come up with anyone who just really said, our goal is to make you feel like you're sitting down with the Holy Spirit himself and he is discipling you. He is discipling you through the words of scripture and through the thoughts of his own heart. Final thought says, Holy Spirit discipleship is the Father's desire for all his born-again children. It is a discipleship like no other. I would recommend it to to every one of you. There's some of you in this room, I know you've been going through these kind of things for, for a couple of years now. The full six months has only been available the, about the last three or four months. But to be able to say, if it can help me form a tighter connection with the Spirit of God, if it can help me hear His voice, in explaining scripture and explaining to me how and why we're walking the way we're walking, then I want that. If it can help me. Because the thing is, we need to know the Spirit. We need to have a relationship daily with Him. We need to be submitted to Him. And so the issue is, what steps? How are we putting Even Jesus' words that the Spirit will guide you, how are we putting that into practice uh, in in a functional, workable way? This helps me. Helps Linda. Helps a number of you to just read every day and let these scriptures impact your heart over and over and over and see the change he makes. Heavenly Father, you have an awesome plan to develop your children into full-fledged, mature sons and daughters of God. Jesus Christ was the first. He lived his life by the power of the Spirit. He, He lowered himself down to our human condition, and he lived his life by the power of the Spirit. And he demonstrated that, that such a life can be lived. And then he sacrificed himself for us so we, in spite of our weaknesses, can be declared children of God. And we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we can submit ourselves daily, though it's a struggle. Jesus never had to battle with a fallen fleshly nature. We do. Father, forgive us when such submission is not at all what we want. Not at all what we choose. We follow our own fleshly way and and we basically just squelch the Spirit, grieve Him, resist Him. But, oh, Father, how marvelous it is when we get back from that and just yield ourselves to Him and say, Spirit of God, guide me today. Direct my life today. Shape me and mold me today. Help me to grow in grace today. Help me to become more like Jesus himself today. 
Father, may that be our reality and may you guide us, may the Spirit guide us to whatever might help us. For this is what we want, to be like Christ and to be molded by the very one you have sent, the Spirit of God himself. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope this message has inspired you to live the sun life together with us. If you are near Apple Valley, California this weekend, we invite you to join us in person Sunday morning or through our live broadcast. All the details are on our website at sunlifecommunitychurch.com.